So normally we make we try to make the show better when we're away. Like we try to improve it. Um So Marty, how did you improve the show? Like what did you did you make any changes or improvements? You know what, Dan? I feel like I did some improvements. Uh, I developed an entirely new miniseries for us. I developed Marty. Uh, all what sorts of happened ideas to the I got... <laughs> Marty? What happened to the music? I there was an issue with the music, Dan. Where um, do we have it? Can we be playing it right now, like the opening of the episode? I mean, we could. We could. It's just a weird, funky, sped up version that you hate and complain <laughs> about. So, in short, you deleted the music. I did not delete the music. <laughs> you taped over the music. Yes, that's more like it. <laughs> like it's George more, Lucas I, with the fucking original trilogy, <laughs> you taped it over with a significantly worse version. Yes, that is that is what I did. So uh, now we're coming back into the game, season three, baby. No music. We have, if anything, stepped backwards to pre-season one. So... I'm calling that our opening music is the Chicago Bulls intro music. You know what? We can do that. Hello and welcome back to Breaking Mayberry, the show that lasted way longer than <laughs> anyone figured we would. Uh, Season three, baby! Season three! We're back, we're better than ever. We're rested up. We've Debatable. Taken- debatable at all of those guys (laughs) i mean continuing our trend we have if anything become more exhausted and less capable of doing this show but somehow getting better results this is such a weird kind of homecoming because we didn't go anywhere like we've still been recording for the past couple of months we just switched to a different show for a little while uh, I'm so done with I Dream of Genie. I'm so glad to be back in Mayberry. Dude. Which is words I didn't think I would say. When we planned the I Dream of Genie thing, it was going to be, like, a fun little vacation. Like, let's just, like, like dunk on I Dream of Genie because it's just going to be, like, dumb, sexist shit. And then we needed to have experts come on to help us dissect this incredibly difficult show. Like, yeah, it... T- it turned out to be one of the most academically challenging things I've ever done, and I have a master's degree. Yeah, I like, 100% put more work into it than my capstone. Admittedly, English major, but still. <laughs> fucking uh, ex- brutal. Just absolute merciless. So it definitely does feel like we're coming back. I'm so happy to be back in the black and white arms of Mayberry. And you know what? I'm genuinely excited for season three. Because I think we're going to see some uh, some interesting shit happen. If you look through the list of episodes, it's not the same couple of names over and over again. Charles Stewart and Jack Ellenson are gone, baby. They're <laughs> dead. Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys uh, deep into a hole in the ground. Fuck them. Those annoying little twerps. Didn't one of their little brothers write an equally shitty episode? Oh, uh, yeah. They, they let, like... Uh, I don't know, little and- Billy Ellenson come in for a couple of episodes, <laughs> and it was one of the worst experiences that we'd ever had. The uh, entire no, like- Ellenson clan can fuck itself. That family, like, if there's still descendants alive today, I hope they eat shit. Uh, so now, you know, we've got, like, a whole bunch of new names in the writing credits. Of course, uh, Bob Sweeney's still in the directing chair for the rest of the season. Um, so there's all sorts of new stuff, and I think that... 
Uh, this is kind of where the Andy Griffith Show becomes the Andy Griffith Show. You know, I think that's kind of where it like gains its footing uh, and becomes what people think about with the Andy Griffith Show. Yeah, but that makes our jobs yeah. I was harder. about to say, it's interesting that you find that exciting because I am possessed by a deep terror. Like, I've been afraid from day one that this show would become good and our lives would become significantly harder. And I'm, it feels, I, I, I feel pre-apocalyptic right now. Like, I, I think it's happening. I think it's finally coming. And we're so screwed because. I don't think so. I think that there's going to be just as much weird shit with, like, pockets of, like, some of the best television of all time popping in there. But, like, reading through some of these descriptions, there's still ridiculous stuff. Plus, remember, we still have Gomer Pyle, like, looming on the horizon. <laughs> We have Gomer Pyle and Ernest T. Bass, who are going to fucking great gazoo their way into this shit. <laughs> in and, our uh, darkest hour, when the Andy Griffith show becomes legitimately legitimately good TV, Gomer Pyle will ride over the hill and save us with, I'm assuming- Shazam! <laughs> is that his fucking catchphrase? That's his catchphrase. His catchphrase is Shazam. This Why? Show- because he reads the fucking Captain Marvel comics, I guess. Oh my god, the show is the worst catchphrases. What happened while we were gone? Um- Opie was trending on Twitter for a little while because people were screaming at Ron Howard. Uh, the writer of Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man, realized that this show is insane. So that's yeah, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Solid and Ahmed joined the ranks of what the fuck is this? <laughs> Andy Griffith fans. Our, our madness is spreading person by person. Like it, this Netflix presence is like the fucking ring where once you see it it infects your brain and eventually kills you it's so weird how this show like you don't think about it but when you do start to think about it the way that you and i have to think about it you see it everywhere i was watching a football game this weekend and there's now a new like lincoln commercial where matthew mcconaughey drives his lincoln up to like go ice fishing and he's whistling the andy griffiths theme coolly and sexily because he's like matthew mcconaughey the entire time and it's just it that's it it's just matthew mcconaughey driving a lincoln whistling the andy griffith theme and going fishing and it's like buy a lincoln (laughs) you know what this show has done to my brain i was hanging out watching the simpsons on disney plus check it out in the wrong aspect ratio (laughs) like a monster disney plus subscriptions are only ten dollars however the fuck it got however the fuck much it costs and that like in we, it was just on in the background, and there was a quick sketch with Andy Griffith crossed with Death Wish, and I just heard Andy Griffith, and suddenly my ears perked up, and I looked around, and my girlfriend just stared at me and was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" I can beat that. Going through some of my like groups that post newspaper comics because that's a weird hobby of mine. Uh, somebody posted like an old Garfield from like 1988, and it was a Sunday strip, and. During those periods of time, like, Garfield used to have, like, throwaway gags under the title where it was Garfield. And this one happened to be a an Andy Griffith parody featuring Garfield in the Andy role and Odie in the Barney role uh, with Arlene as Aunt B and some random cat playing uh, a drunk uh, Otis. Not normal? And I was just, not normal. Normal, I think, was Gomer. Uh, oh god sounds... I, po- I posted this on twitter and i was just like well this is 
this is about what we would expect. It's a because... com- perfect combination of two deeply unfunny things, Garfield and the Andy Griffith show. It's pretty much the most, like, Marty thing you could bait <laughs> me with. It's like if you, like, like if you, if them... you had a trap in the woods <laughs> and you wanted to attract me, like, so I would knock over a stick and a, and a box would fall on my head. You would put this Garfield strip <laughs> and just be like, make fun of this. Like a neon sign. I'm really surprised that when Jim Davis tried to draw Garfield in an Andy Griffith costume, it, someone didn't look at me like, Jim, this is just a picture of tapioca pudding. And it was like, what? That's <laughs> weird. Let me do that again. Garfield as Andy Griffith. No, tapioca pudding again. What is happening? I, I'm just trying to draw the blandest thing ever. This was before, like, Jim Davis, like, completely sold out when he still had some kind of imagination uh, and was still actually drawing Garfield strips. Hey, welcome to Marty's Comics Corner. Comics is spelled with an X and Corner is spelled with a K? Yeah, that sounds right. Comics Corner. Everybody who had Marty Talks About Newspaper Comics on their uh, Breaking Mayberry bingo card has crossed it off already. And it's just like, get the fuck on with it. Uh... All right, we're leaving, think- we're leaving Comics Corner. Comics Corner okay. is over now. <laughs> I okay, am- that's fine. Yeah, okay. We had fun. Uh, this is a podcast about the Andy Griffith Show. Have we introduced ourselves? <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Marty Schneider. <laughs> I'm the other host, Dan Ludwig. Oh my god. <laughs> God, we're rusty. It's cool that we can't take two-week breaks because we just lose all motor function. Uh, yeah, so this is a, as you guys have surely put together, this is a podcast about the Andy Griffith Show. This has been made abundantly clear. Uh, apparently I'm the podcast dad now. Uh, I've seized control. Uh, it it almost always has to be me, so I'm glad that, like, we switched, we swapped roles at this point. Should we start talking about Mr. McBeavy? Yeah, do you want to start with that? Uh, so, let's get right into this. Let's go to Season 3, Episode 1, Mr. McBeavy! And, like, (laughs) people have told us, every time I I tell people what this show is about, they're like, have you gotten the Mr. McBeavy episode yet? Because it's one that, like, sticks out in people's minds. Uh, it's well-known as, like, one of the better pieces of television. So, Mr. McBeavy originally airs October 1st, 1962, written by R. Allen Safian and Harvey Bullock. Are Bullock's back? Hell yeah! We got Bullock back! We got Bullock back in the saddle, baby! And directed by co-owner of a pretty sweet timeshare in Key Largo, Florida, Bob Sweeney. Talking bulldog with a monocle, Bob Sweeney. And here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Opie's description of his new friend, Mr. McBeavy, played by character actor Carl Swenson, is hard to believe. Can you give me the name of that first writer before Bullock, real quick? R. Allen Safian. Fuck, that's cool. Name of a vengeful gin. R. Allen Safian sounds like the kind of name that in a mystery novel or like a fantasy novel, you would rearrange the letters and it would turn out to spell like, I am evil more. <laughs> R.L. Safian sounds like such a fake name for a famous writer. Like, oh, I, I want to point out it's it's R. Allen, not R.L. Like oh. Goosebumps guy. Yeah, R. Allen Safian. <laughs> R. Allen Safian, who is in hiding from the mafia and had to make up a name real fast. Look, dude, we can't we can't make fun of everyone's name. We can't make everybody a characteristic based on their name. 
only when they're named after Batman characters, genies, and whatever the fuck Bob Sweeney is named after. This episode, Mr. McBeavy, um, it's known as one of the better episodes of television of all time. It's kind of a statistical outlier for us. And it's so weird, because this episode is good. It's incredible. Like, it's Remember when I said I was terrified of this show becoming good? Fuck! Yeah. Fuck the dawning horror I watched this show with. Where I was like, oh, maybe it'll turn out to be to be racist? Oh, no. Maybe it'll turn out to be misogynistic oh no will it turn out to have terrible politics at all oh fuck oh fuck it's wholesome and good are the jokes bad the jokes are good fuck the jokes are good there's a beginning a middle and an end there is rising action and falling action like there's a story structure wise it's solid there's emotional catharsis there's it, it has a genuine coherent moral like the moral compass of this show is meaningful and effective fucking barney doesn't get very many lines it's that's, the that's perfect a key part. episode that's a key that's a key yeah there's a little bit of don knots but not a whole lot of don knots whenever don knots uh, starts like really going there was someone like off screen with a trank gun just hitting him uh like they like it was bullock it was bullock off screen with a trank gun but, like uh he's starting to say nip it in the bud take him down take him down Let's just talk about this. So it, it opens up with Andy and Opie kind of playing out in the backyard, essentially. And Opie is ba- he's playing cowboy. He's pretending that he has a horse, mm-hmm. uh, a horse named Blackie. So he's got a pretend invisible horse. And it's time for him to come inside for lunch or something. And Andy, being a good dad, is like, oh, let's play along. We got to tie up old Blackie to the hitching post, which is like the railing on their house, on their steps. And... Opie goes inside, he's eating breakfast, uh, Aunt Barney comes in and is just like, Hello! Just fucking Kramer's into this house. I'm the Kramer of this <laughs> show. Uh, he's really excited because, and Opie tells him that they got a horse. And he doesn't realize that the horse is invisible. Uh, Andy kind of leads him on. Opie tells him all about his great horse well, in the Well, okay, backyard. no, Andy doesn't lead him on. So what happens is... Andy does this shit, actually. Andy's quiet the entire yeah, time. Yeah, Andy tries to interrupt Barney and be like, hey, man, there's not really a horse. And Barney's like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I want to hear about this horse from this human child. Like, I want, I'm going to take him as gospel. Shut the fuck up, adult. And then they do a whole thing where Barney becomes increasingly excited about the horse he runs outside to see the horse, and Andy is like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of an invisible horse. And then, I think any other show, the bit would be like, like, ha <laughs> you're mildly embarrassed. And then Barney gets, like, legitimately mad. Yeah, yeah, he is so mad, and, and Andy has to apologize. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that, man. I'm sorry for putting you on, Barn. And Barney's like, it's okay, it's okay. You know, you, just, just, you gotta, well, he you gotta be nice about that. He says, like, you know, it's okay, I don't mind, I don't mind, it's fine, but I think you're doing a shitty job of raising your son. Like, I yeah, don't think you should let your son do that to people. I think you're really fucking up as a parent. Let's go back inside and have breakfast. I'm going to be stewing the entire time. Yeah, as always, uh, the problems of this show, the main conflict stemmed from Barney's insecurity, uh, because he was mildly inconvenienced. 
powerful, uh, unstable uncle energy. Like, you get Barney a fake scratch ticket and he punches a hole in one of your walls. We pretty much just dive right into the plot of this episode, like, in the very next scene. Now we're at the jailhouse, I believe? So they've established that Opie has imaginary friends. He has an imaginary horse, uh, which... He's he's at that point of childhood where you tend to have imaginary friends. Is he, though? Okay, so Opie, the character, is at the age of having an imaginary friend. Is Ron Howard at the age of having an imaginary friend? Because the entire time I was like, Ah, oh, you're looking a little too much like a ten-year-old boy to have an imaginary friend, Ronnie. Um, yeah, yeah, this show really does not know how to handle the aging process of their star. Yeah, um, they were... But it's, it's they were fine, because like, no one on this show acts like an adult anyway. They were like, fuck, we gotta burn this... Uh, imaginary friend's story before he starts looking at all like an adult shit. Um, like that, that kid's gonna start growing a weak ass mustache any minute. <laughs> like, listen, we can already tell this kid's gonna look fucking weird. We gotta start. We got. We gotta start getting the cute shit out now, and then we're gonna have to do all the puberty crap later. Did you ever have an imaginary friend, Dan? So my imaginary friend sucked. That doesn't surprise me. His name was just Rob, but he had a Boston Red Sox hat on. End of details about Rob. It was pretty fucking embarrassing. Are you fucking kidding me? He was just a fucking dude. He was just a guy. You, you, your imaginary friend was just some guy. He was, it was, it sucked. Just some guy with a bus. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even Dan. like, he wasn't even like particularly old or my age. I think he was just like in his 30s. He was just a dude. And it sucked because my mom was like, when we were like in our teens, my mom was like telling us about our imaginary friends. And my brother had like, I don't know, a fucking like dragon or some shit. And my sister had like, a talking cat. It was like, oh, Dan, you just kind of had Rob. He was around. <laughs> he hung out. He didn't really do or say very much. <laughs> did, he just did chilled. Rob have, did Rob have any interest? <laughs> no. He didn't even talk about the Red Sox a lot. He just had the hat. Like, like, what What did you... I'm sorry. That This is what the episode is about yeah. now. What the fuck, Dan? <laughs> I don't I don't remember. What did you and Rob do together? Like, how did you play? Did you just did you just sit in your room and like sort out a collection of like interesting buttons? And Rob was like, "That one's purple. That one's that one's got three holes." What? I I think Rob just kind of like hung out. Like I did my own thing. I did stuff, and also Rob was in the room. Just so, chilling. So, I'm assuming so you're, doing the crossword imagine, puzzle. <laughs> your imaginary friend was a grown man who followed you around silently <laughs> everywhere you went and just watched you. <laughs> I mean, when he didn't have to get to his dad administration job, yeah. Fucking Rob. Your, your, your imaginary friend <laughs> was a fucking accountant from <laughs> South Boston. <laughs> he sucked ass. Rob sucked shit. I fucking hate Rob. Other kids had like dragons and and living motorcycles and transformers. I just had this fucking dude. You know that you weren't assigned Rob, right? <laughs> you know like that it. it's, 
You know, that it's not like you got the like the short end of the stick and you just had to have Rob. You know that this is entirely your fault. <laughs> I don't know. You're yelling at a child right now. That kid Dan didn't know this. Kid Dan just thought your imaginary friend had to be a friend. I thought Red Sox hats were cool. I didn't even like the Red Sox. Your imaginary friend was the guy in my apartment complex that sells weed. <laughs> Rob 100% sells <laughs> Your imaginary friend was just a dealer. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> my imaginary friend Rob has been on the first chapter of Gravity's Rainbow for five years. <laughs> Your imaginary, your imaginary friend Rob owns Infinite Jest and brings it out when girls come over, <laughs> but has never read it. My imaginary friend drove a Nissan Sentra. Your imaginary friend Rob doesn't own a bed frame. He just sleeps on a mattress uh, that's on the ground. And girls are cool with it. Yeah, he does all right. Nothing to write home about, but he's fine. Oh my god, Dan, that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Uh, so, Rob is so, a regular at a bar where they never recognize him. Oh, Rob, is, wherever you are, man, I hope you're doing fine. I hope you're, I don't really hope you're doing good, but I hope you're, I hope you're alright. So, it's kind of funny, though, how well that parallels the actual storyline that we're about oh, to yeah. be talking about. Opie comes in and he's got... Does he have the hatchet yet, or does he have something else? Yeah, he rolls in with a hatchet. So, this is actually kind of the fucked up thing. No, is Opie... I, I, don't th- I don't think he has the hatchet yet. I think I think he comes... The hatchet comes later. No, it's, no, it's the hatchet and the coin, my dude. He he talks about Mr. McBeefy, then he has the hatchet, and then that that's when when Andy starts to get a little more suspicious. Okay, yeah. So, we'll, yeah. we'll break this uh, into three parts. Okay, yeah, so... so, ba- ba- so, so so I'm going to break down kind of the story of this. We're not going to do our normal scene by scene thing, I think. Basically, the way that this story works is now we've established that Opie is in an imaginary friend territory. And he begins to talk about this man, Mr. McBeavy, who lives in the woods and walks on the trees uh, and has a big silver hat. <laughs> uh, and this is when uh, Barney, who you'll remember thinks that Opie's getting a little bit carried away, starts to get, like, razzing Andy for this. Uh, it starts to become really real when Opie walks in and says that he has a he has a hatchet all of a sudden. Uh, and Not he Andy, says he has a hatchet. He rolls in with a fucking hatchet. He's like, check out my fucking hand axe. And he's kind of confused, says, what, where did you get this hatchet? Opie says, I got it from my friend in the woods, Mr. McBeavy. Andy's response is, okay, you found a hatchet in the woods. You and, quote-unquote, Mr. McBeavy were out playing in the woods. You found a hatchet, and now you brought it back. And he says, okay, look, this is someone's hatchet. You gotta go into the woods and give this back uh, so that, you know, whoever left it there can get it there. Andy doesn't think that Mr. McBeavy is real. So Opie goes back into the woods, uh, and he yells for Mr. McBeavy. Big twist, Mr. McBeavy is real. Uh, Mr. McBeavy's a real person. He's a telephone lineman. Yeah, that's how he walks on the trees. His big silver hat is like, you know, the hat, uh, like a helmet. It's just like... Yeah, it's his helmet. It's his hard hat. Yeah. 
Um, Opie's things are, uh, he jingles when he walks, and that's because Mr. McBeavy has a bunch of keys. Mr. McBeavy describes, he, like, pulls out all of his screwdrivers, and he's like, these are my hands! These are, I got 12 hands for all different kinds of stuff I need! And then he does a trick with a cigarette, where he's like, I can blow smoke out of my ears! And he inhales his cigarette, blows the smoke into his hand, uh, I'm actually acting this out because I'm a fucking moron, and then uh, releases the smoke out of his hand next to his ear. Um, so Opie goes back and says he has 12 magic hands, uh, he jingles when he walks, and he can make smoke come out of his ears. Um, Y'all see where this is going. Uh, yeah. Mr. Andy and Barney before are Opie departs, gives him a quarter, and he's like, well, you've been a good boy. You bought me, you brought me some apples and berries and fresh spring water, which we'll circle back to, because what? Um, yeah. And... Opie goes back, but like, Mr. McBeavy gave me a quarter, and he assumes that Opie stole the quarter. Right, this is where things start to come to a head, because all of a sudden, Andy's like, my child has money, and I didn't give him that money. Where did he get it? And yeah, he like, he's rightfully suspicious that his son has money, because uh, kids shouldn't have money. Yeah. It's my opinion. I'm anti-kids having money. It's cool that most teenagers now can just, like, kind of buy and sell us. Like, they, all teenagers have more money than me. It's okay for teens to have money, because they, like, they, they gotta do something. They're teens, and they gotta go buy, I don't know, fuck, what the fuck do teenagers buy? TikToks? Yeah, Fortnites. God, oh my God, fuck us. We suck so <laughs> much Christ. shit. Oh my God, they buy their they buy their fidget way. spinners. We suck ass. Fuck us. Oh my God. Why do you guys oh. turn off the podcast? <laughs> I'm gonna OK Boomer both of us right now. I'm gonna OK Boomer myself. Fuck. <sighs> fuck anyway, you, Dan. anyway, uh, yeah. So Andy's now upset about this, and he's suspicious. He's like, my son is now lying to me about where he got this money, uh, and so he takes. He takes Opie home uh, and is about to kick his ass. Like, he's, he says it's time to whoop his ass to give him a whipping. Uh, a spanking. A spank- no, he says a whipping. He says uh, a whipping? Fuck. Whipping. He says it. He says it's, he's going to get a oh, oh. I think there's a difference. Between, there, I'm sorry. There's a very important vowel there. I think there's a difference between a whooping and a whipping. He's going to get a whooping. Uh, so, I I think when he's coming down the stairs, he says that he didn't spank Opie, which is right. the mo- of the ways that he could do corporal punishment. I think the least terrible, right? Probably. I don't sure, know. Sure. Probably anyway, should the... put a numeric value on that. It causes All me right, to cringe we're... the least. All right, we're at the part of the show where Dan, like, splits hairs and defends something that doesn't need defending. Cool. <laughs> Cross Why that off your bingo do card. do these things? <laughs> so Andy goes upstairs to beat his child, uh, and then he tries to give his dad lecture and say, listen, all you gotta do is tell me the truth. All you gotta say is that Mr. McBeavy's made up, and Opie looks him in the eyes like, I can't do that. Mr. McBeavy is real. Please, please believe me. They have a little bit about faith and how faith is about believing in something when you can't see it. Uh, and Specifically faith to- in other people. Yes, yes. Uh, it's it's one of those things where it's, like, left open to interpretation so that, like, evangelicals can latch onto it. But, and, like, and, he's, it's, it's, it, in the context of the show, it's 100% secular. 
in in this in the context of it, he's like, I, as a parent, ask Opie to believe me about things that must seem completely insane to him. Therefore, I ask for the same. I should give him the same courtesy. This seems yeah. completely crazy to me, but I believe him. Yeah, he comes down to the stairs where Barney and Aunt B are waiting to hear what happened. Uh, and Barney is, of course, you know, curious why he didn't beat his beat Opie. Uh, Andy gives that same re- reason that you just gave, uh, and he has this really good line uh, where Barty says, so are you telling me you believe in Mr. McBeavy? And Andy says, no, but I believe in Opie. Fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the big the big emotional climax is Andy goes out to the woods to, uh, you know, to to basically just stomp around and feel sad. And yeah. he meets Mr. McBeavy, big emotional climax. Uh, Mr. McBeavy is like this charming Scottish dude, like this broad-faced, jovial Scottish guy. It's delightful. He's wonderful. We, uh, we did skip a scene. There is a moment where um, Andy gives Opie a chance to prove that Mr. McBeavy exists. They drive out to the woods, uh, but Mr. McBeavy has gotten a call, and he has to drive off somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so they show up at the woods when Mr. McBeavy's gone. He's not working. Uh, and there's this, like, scene that goes on, I think, just the right amount of time where it's just Opie yelling for Mr. McBeavy, Mr. McBeavy not coming, and Andy growing more and more disappointed. This is one of the best performances we've seen Andy Griffith, the actor, give. There, uh, the ability to maintain dramatic tension is absolutely fantastic in this episode like i was genuinely worried about what was going to happen between these people like i was i was i knew that at the end it was going to be revealed that uh mr Mc, that mr McBeavy is real so on and so forth i was genuinely worried that andy was going to beat opie and their relationship yeah. was going to have to recover from this um cause partially because of how old it is because like you know, back then, that could be a thing of, like, hey, Opie, sorry I whooped your ass. Uh, it's the 1960s. That's a thing you can have an, a laugh break at the end of. Um, so if anything, it kind of aged into a better, more dramatically tense story. It has aged incredibly well, this this episode has. Um, one thing I want to point out, and this, and this is a very 1960s thing. Mr. McBeavy comes down, and Andy's just like, oh my god, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm so glad you're not imaginary. You're not imaginary at all. You're just this grown man who's been hanging out with, <laughs> with my, my with my 10-year-old child alone in the woods for uh, no reason. Why does my son keep making friends with adult men <laughs> in the woods? Why? This is not the first time this has happened. I am so happy that you are real. I'm not even going to ask why you gave my son an axe. Like, the why did he, he give he, a small boy an axe? Yeah, and gave him an axe, gave him money. And you know what? You know what it was. He was just like, oh my god, you're you're real. You're a real person, and you're you're not imaginary. You're not like that fucker Rob. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, who works at Aramark, he's a supply chain manager, <laughs> and that's it. That's the entire episode. Yeah. Like, okay, but seriously, can we just like 
it's a, it's a fantastic episode. We'll talk about how it's a fantastic episode. Give a kid an axe. Opie just <laughs> rolls in with a with a hatchet, a very gli- a very bright, sharp it's hatchet. Brand new. It's brand new. Yeah, and. When Andy's like, <laughs> my son is an axe. Great, cool, love it. Uh, but you should go put that back though. Uh, he's like, alright, go scamper off with that axe. And then little Ron Howard just like runs away holding an axe in front of him. It's, I mean, let's so- be, let's, let's be clear. You keep saying axe. It's a hatchet. It, it's not that weird for a kid in rural North Carolina. To have a hatchet. Okay, but here's uh, what I'm gonna say. Compared to the size of Ron Howard, it is axe-sized. Like, listen, ag- against listen. his little body, he is Kratos. Listen, every kid should have a hatchet in case their small plane crashes in the woods and they need to make a shelter and do all sorts of other things with that hatchet in the beloved children's book, young adult novel, Hatchet by Gary Paulson. I don't know if that... that reference was gonna work oh that movie that that book fucking rules uh did you know that there's a sequel to it called the river where he just gets super bored about not being almost dying in the woods so he just goes into the woods to almost die again it kicks yeah i've read that i've read that he's he's absolutely fucking like emil hirsch into the wild he's just like screw it i'm gonna do this he goes into the woods with an adult man who promptly almost dies it kicks ass uh, yeah, so, fucking, okay, yeah, so it is awesome that Opie gets a hatchet. He is waving it around like a dipshit, which I fucking loved. Um, I really hope that by the end of this, like, once we've established Mr. McBeavy is real, Opie gets his hatchet back. Like, I think, I think it's only fair. I mean, Opie is a rugged little bitch. He is rough and tumble and could handle a, a hatchet. So I am pretty on board with this. I also want to point out, like, Ron Howard has learned volume control between the seasons, so that bit's out the window now. Yeah. Fuck. We're, we're gonna just have to, I mean, we can't do little kid voices because someone will come to my house. Uh, some sort of government agent. I don't know to prevent what, but, you know, just prevent me from making little kid voices. That's fair. I don't know, we're boned on doing impressions of him. Uh, there's always our tried-and-true Don Knotts impression that we're both great at. <laughs> I'm gonna move on from this. This is the episode. Um, uh, It's fucking great, it's awesome, but it's not even great in, like, one of the... Uh, what, like, it's not even great in, like, the Moonshiner episode where it's like, Fuck yeah! Crime! It's wholesome and emotionally cathartic and wonderful, and I'm so scared. We're, the show is going to get good, and we're going to have to talk about, like, I don't, all I don't in think the so. family? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so, Dan. I think that this is a statistical outlier. Oh, uh, fucking better be-, be. Because things get shitty again in the very next episode. Do you want to do ratings real quick? Yeah, so let's do ratings. Uh, are, we, mean, are we calling this... An, 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 it's an unironic 10? It's an unironic 10 and a solid zero. Um, zero on the fife meter. Zero. There's nothing. There's nothing there. It's like, so we've taught, we've had episodes before where it's like, there's nothing, but it's always been in terms of like, badness. Like, the ones where it just basically nothing happens for an entire 22 minutes. This is just like, it's good. It's fucking good. It's pretty consistently good. No bad stuff happens. No, no bad jokes. None of the jokes had me like rolling in my seat, but 
It's good. I mean, they they were solid, and I laughed when when Andy actually met Mister McBeavy. Like, and he got so excited about it. I, I laughed at that. Oh no, yeah, the music swelled perfectly. It was I I I felt things, which is weird. Like and you know, and you you mentioned the music. There's not a lot of music in this episode, which I think helps. Like, yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of like distraction stuff. There's minimal laugh track. There's minimal music. Uh, a lot of it is just like quiet, like that scene that I mentioned earlier of uh, Opie and Andy wandering through the woods while while Opie yells for Mr. McBeefy and Mr. McBeefy doesn't come. There's no music for that scene. They just let that play out uh and it makes it so much sadder like yeah it's it's better that i don't have music telling me this is sad it's kind of incredible that every episode has been bob sweeney because like some of the direction in these episodes has been abhorrent and this is like it's the same dude same motherfucker yeah. i i don't know if he's like getting his getting his sea legs or whatever and it just took you know basically the duration of some people's entire careers or if he just like I think I'm, I'm operating on the theory that Bob Sweeney is a raging alcoholic, and sometimes he sobers up, and when he's sober, he's a fucking master, but he's so drunk all the time. No, I'm going to say it the other way around. I think it's a tragic thing. He can only direct when he's drunk. Legend of the Drunken Master type deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, and, but, but, but it has to be, like, just the perfect amount. Like... Like, if he, he has to get right up to a point, like, if he overdoes it, boom, passed out on the set throws up on ron howard it's terrible oh. everyone hates it but like if he just gets right on that spot like three highballs a, a shot of jaeger and half a beer boom he's in the zone he's making mr McBeavy, and anything below that is just like the andy and opie housekeepers this is an intervention we care about you very much and we've all written you a letter bob sweeney <laughs> Bob, you have hurt me in the following ways. I used to consider you a brother, and now I don't recognize you at all, Sweeney. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's go to fucking episode two now. <laughs> Let me make a drink. It's okay, Dan. It's okay, because things get bad again immediately. Oh, thank Christ. Things thank get bad again God. immediately. In season three, episode two, Andy's Rich Girlfriend originally airs October 8th, 1962. Written by Jim Fritzel and Everett Greenbaum. Directed <laughs> Shit, by... Jim Fritzel. Jim Fritzel and Everett Greenbaum. We've seen them Fucking before. Fucking elf. Uh, what uh, have we seen them before from? In season one, these two did Quiet Sam, which is the episode about a baby being born that has no women in it. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, yeah. These guys are dirtbags. I love it. These guys suck so hard. So, yeah, that was season one. We didn't see them at all season two. Uh, and then we're, they're back here in uh, season three. Jim Fritzel and Everett Greenbaum. And directed by his band opened for Deep Purple at the Forum back in 73. And it rocked. Bob Sweeney. Husband of a noir femme fatale, Bob Sweeney. Oh, Bob Sweeney's absolutely the dude that gets murdered. Or the, like, <laughs> husband that the femme fatale hires the private detective to investigate. You have to help me, Jake. My husband, Bob Sweeney, has gone completely crazy. I don't know what he's going to do. You need to go definitely not accidentally murder him for me. I knew that dame was trouble the second she said Bob Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. 
Andy tries to comprehend the upper-class wealth of his girlfriend, Peggy McMillan, uh, who Barney insists is incompatible. Uh, so yeah, so this episode introduces another girlfriend for Andy. Wait, no, this is the same girlfriend from season two, isn't it? The, the no, the no, nurse? the girlfriend. No, this the, she's not the nurse. What? She's she's not the nurse. The county nurse's name was Mary. Uh, oh my and, fucking god! And if you remember right, we saw Mary twice, and she was played by different women both times. I thought they uh, just and... recast Mary again. Nope, nope. This is a Whoa, new girl, Peggy McMillan. Who the fuck is this lady? Who the fuck is this lady? Well, guess what? We just, she, she's here now. Peggy's here. <laughs> Peggy. You know Peggy. That's like Peggy's one thing. Here. You know Peggy. You know her style. You know her you deal. You know what Peggy's you, deal is. You love Peggy. Peggy's your favorite. She's been here the entire time. Peggy. Peggy. Check, so. <laughs> check out this Peggy. Ah, slaps Peggy on the rear. This bad boy can fit so many plot devices. <laughs> oh, that, that's the worst. The, uh, the slapping on a rear wouldn't have been that bad if you hadn't talked about things fitting inside a woman. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah. So this is the introduction of Peggy. Who is a woman. She's, I think, the same as Mary. I think the reason I thought she was Mary is uh, her her traits are woman blonde in a relationship with andy blonde and you know i I don't think that's very i don't think that's fair to say dan i think that peggy has a little bit more personality to her and i think that comes out in this episode uh like they give her some personality traits in this they give her yelling let's get into this this opens up uh at like mom's down home diner where (laughs) Uh, they're on a double date. Barney and Andy and Thumbaloo and Peggy! You know, Peggy! <laughs> you know this Peggy. You love this Peggy. Here she is. Check it out! And, yeah, so they're leaving the diner. They're leaving Mom's and they're talking about how great the food was and they're all going for a ride. Uh, they're on a double date. And this this is one of my least favorite parts it of the Andy Griffith show. such is, a weird bit. I hate when the show handles romantic relationships. Because these people are all in their fucking 40s. But the- do, do we ring a bell whenever something high school happens in this episode? Because it's going to be a lot. Everything about this is so goddamn Archie Andrews cranking up his jalopy. No, and it's absolutely not. Because that is like semi... Right, so Archie Andrews is like time appropriate for like romance in the fucking 50s adults dating in the 60s in the Andy Griffith universe is completely identical to teenagers dating in 2004. Like, it syncs up perfectly because, like, they're they're able to acknowledge that sex exists exactly that same amount. Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my Archie and... They, they really are, like, acting like, like comic strip children's comic versions of romance but these people are all in their fucking 40s and it it drives me nuts so they're going for a ride and barney wants andy to drive because they took the cop car because that's the only car they have Uh, he wants andy to drive so that he can get in the back and i don't know get a hand job from thumb it is literally like he's like hey i need you to drive so i can finger thelma lou in the back of the car while you drive like Like, and then (laughs) 
And they, they argue over who's going to drive because, like, obviously whoever whoever drives doesn't have their hands free and he wants to have a hand free. And then he gets in the front seat with Andy anyway. I don't even understand the genesis of this joke. Like, I do not. I don't know how any of it happens. I don't understand what they were even going for with why Barney got in the front seat of the car. It's very bad. It's a very yeah. bad joke. It's uh, terrible. Thank so, fucking God this show still sucks ass. Thank Christ. So, so, so they drive up to a lake. Oh, just uh, the lake. Yeah, uh, they drive up to the lake and they get out. And I think Peggy has her first lines, basically. Andy and Peggy get out of the car and they start walking towards the lake. There's a very upsetting bit where, like, Barney is still in the back seat, just, like, pawing wildly at Thelma Lou. Just kind of like, like not really grabbing her, just kind of like patting, okay. like, okay. like, like, like it's a fucking TSA and she's like checking her for metal. Like, like she Simon fucking says. Stop <laughs> uh, it. Pull <laughs> it. Twist it. Oh, why did you turn into the guy from the B-52s? <laughs> Love Shack, baby. <laughs> Oh god. Okay. So no, what happens is so what? much more upsetting than what you said because it goes uh like Andy looking at a lake and uh they're like, Oh, really nice night, beautiful lake, love it, this is such great nature. And then it cuts back to Thelma Lou trying to escape the car. Yeah. She's like she's like using her entire body weight to try to open the door and she's like, I wanna see the lake and Barney is doing everything in his physical power to keep her in the car. It's horrible. It's the juxtaposition. So I also love that the line, like, Peggy's first line is, uh, they're looking at the lake, and she's like, so I bet you bring all the girls here. And he's like, well, you know, not all of them. Real fucking barn burner of a line. Just, yeah, yeah. just these new dudes really show them what they can do. Then this took them all fucking afternoon. I, like, that's you know, romance. That's how you write romance right there, Marty. That's that I, real shit. The lines are bad. The lines are bad. But also, we've proven that Andy Griffith, like, is a good actor, but he sucks shit at bringing any romantic chemistry with any of the women that we've seen. That's kind of, they keep firing women because they don't have romantic chemistry with Andy Griffith. And after a certain point, you have to be like, what's up with you, Andy Griffith? Yeah, you gotta figure out what the common denominator is here, man. Does Andy Griffith, I mean, we saw, we watched Face in a Crowd, where, I guess, Andy Griffith has romantic horny tension. Yeah, he's he's not going for romantic uh, chemistry with any of them. He's just being a lech in yeah. that movie. So, so, I think we're gonna just say, Andy Griffith apparently is incapable of having romantic feelings on screen for a woman, dot, 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 trail off... It's just not in his wheelhouse, and I think that's why he never really became a leading man. Anyway, so yeah, there's no, like, chemistry between them, but she's like, yeah, you bring all the girls here, and he's like, not all of them. 
uh, Thelma Lou is trying to escape. They do this weird bit. This and entire single, scene, I must say, I must say, this entire scene <laughs> is people making up for how bad Andy Griffith is at stuff. Because first he's like, "Hey, you want to watch me talk to a hawk?" And he he does like he's like, "I'm gonna do like a country charm thing. I'm just gonna put this piece of grass between my thumbs like this, and I'm gonna whistle, and I'm gonna sound like a, a hawk, and it sounds like a fart." He's just like. <laughs> It, he clearly fails at it, and I'm just like Bob. You want to do another take? You want to no? you want to run that one again? No. Like he clearly failed at that, but everyone's gonna act like he nailed it, and we're gonna laugh. Okay. The bit like the best is that they just do a hawk responding, and they give him a line of like, "Hey, there are ladies present." Did they? It's not a hawk. It's like it's a, clearly not a hawk. It's it sounds it's, like it's, a it's bat. Some sort of warbler. It's it's some sort of, it's some form of some of wobbler. Warbler. Um, Warbler. Because, nailed it. And uh, yeah. so uh, while this is happening, uh, Thelma Lou manages to escape from Barney's armed bunker uh, to go see the hawk. Uh, as as they like they cut back and she's like diving in and out of spotlights and, jo- and running through machine gun fire. <laughs> she's, she's cutting like barbed wire and like crawling underneath it while Barney tries to grab her tits. She, she's made it to the sewers, and there's daylight. <laughs> yeah. <there's, laughs> the underground resistance has gotten Thelma Lou to safety, uh, while Barney gets huffy that he has a hard-on that won't go away. <laughs> the Justice for Thelma Lou crew showed up! Yeah. Hashtag Justice for Thelma Lou. Hashtag Justice... Yeah. Um, um, so Thumbaloo's like, I want to go wading in the lake. Let's all go wading. And Barney's like, I don't want to take off my socks and shoes because I think Barney thinks his penis is on his feet. I don't know what. Why I was more like, this? I genuinely thought there was the plot from here on out was going to be Barney has mutant ass feet. I thought it was going to be like, uh, let's help Barney get over the fact that most of his foot is one toe. He has that that disease where your feet kind of look like lobster claws. Ah, oh, Barney, that's okay. You're still a person. Yeah, it turns out that Don Knotts is actually a duck down there. <laughs> uh, Barney is like the seal boy that lives under the sewers with Killer Croc. He's basically the penguin. <laughs> He's but the Danny like, like DeVito, the Danny penguin. DeVito, the Danny DeVito penguin. Yeah. Um, so they all go waiting in the lake, and I have to point this out. Waiting. We gotta steal all the children, Andy! Put bombs <laughs> on them! Waiting, waiting for, uh, for, uh, Thelma Lou is just like taking her shoes off and doing a weird slow can-can in the mud. <laughs> she just, like, stands there and just, like, sticks one foot up, another foot up, one foot up, another foot up, and that's all she does for the rest of the scene. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Andy proceeds to impress everyone with how good he is at skipping a rock, which means that Andy Griffiths himself is throwing a rock just off screen, and everyone is going, oh, look how far that skipped! I mean, you know, I do find this scene very relatable on the Barney end, because have you ever just been on a, on a, a double date where you suddenly realize part through, like, Oh, compared to everyone else on this date, I suck ass. I'm, yeah, really... I'm the least impressive person here. Yeah, yeah, crap. That. I'm the weak link on this on this group date. Fuck. I think I found that resonant. Like, I think that's worse than being a third wheel. 
Because it suddenly, to the person that's supposed to be your date, it highlights just how much you suck. Yeah. And how much you should not, that they should not date you. Like, suddenly you're like the there's nerd a point who's of comparison. sitting at the cool kids table. Yeah, it really, it crystallizes your relationship and the fact that you are in over your head. Yeah, once the person who is dating you can see another relationship and, like, see how that goes, then all of a sudden, it's, like, you're like, oh, shit. Now I have a frame of reference. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, and, no. And then you just kind of start flailing. And, you know, just talking about how you can lift a car tire above your head. And, you know, doing feats of strength like that. Peggy also gets bit by a crawfish, and everyone runs out while Barney's running in. Uh, whatever. I don't care. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, apparently the crawfish scene... bite you. Cool. Didn't know that. Um, Actually, I uh, that did happen to me as a kid. I did get pinched, not bitten, but pinched, pinched by a crawfish uh, when I was wading in a river as a kid. That's it. Huh. Uh, so wholesome. The next, the next scene is at Peggy's house, which you have written here, Nurse Lady's house. I don't know her name. This scene is nothing. This scene is just like establishing once and for all that these two are dating. They say we're gonna go on a date. They kiss. He yells at the hawk again, and yeah, it's actually kind of a bizarre scene because, like, yeah, they do do a romantic first kiss, and then Andy just kind of yells at a hawk, which is apparently following him around. <laughs> which, like, this hawk that sounds like a bat follows him home, and then he's just like, "Get out of here, hawk!" Which, um, like, two possibilities: one. That, that hawk is in his head and Andy is slowly losing his mind. Or two, Andy has like a nemesis hawk. <laughs> you know, I like I like that one. I like that one. His name is Mr. Beaks. And he, <laughs> well, and he hates Andy Griffith so much because that that weird Andy Griffith like putting the grass to the uh to the mouth and thing. He basically said whatever the hawk equivalent is of the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> And in that moment, he made an enemy out of Mr. Beaks for life. Mr. Beaks will follow Andy to the end of the earth just to get in his way. <laughs> if you actually like zoom in on certain scenes, you can see a hawk shaking its fist in the background. There's, there's like like so many scenes where Car like as Andy is walking off the screen, a hawk just swoops down and just claws at Floyd's just, face, <laughs> like just narrowly missing him. So yeah, so every scene, every just, scene of every Andy show from the, from the rest of eternity, just remember there's a hawk circling <laughs> above, going, "I'm gonna get you someday, Andy." And just Andy, just like like talking like, ah, oh, Jim, it's good to see that you got a new truck. Anyway, I'm gonna, yeah, anyway, I'm gonna go get a haircut. All right, bye, Andy. Oh God, a hawk! It swooped down and missed you, and is clawing at my eyes. God, God! Like, That's how the show ends. <laughs> Mister Beaks is gonna get his revenge and crap and like close his talons around Andy's throat. That's how this show's ending. Just Andy, like... No, 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 Mr. Beaks is gonna do this Punisher style, yeah. and he's gonna get Andy to kill his best friend. <laughs> Doing a callback to our Patreon episode where we talk about the Punisher. Yeah. Uh, no, just Andy comes, like, they do, like, the cheers thing where, like, Andy turns off the lights to the, the jail or something, and then he, he throws his coat over his shoulder and goes home, and who is that sitting in a chair smoking a cigarette waiting for him? 
It's Mr. Beaks. He's holding a silenced pistol. He puts two in Andy's chest. Then he puts out the cigarette on the chair on the arm of the chair and walks out slow. I think we went too far too fast with the Mr. Beaks thing. I think it's funnier if it's just like this hawk that wants to ruin Andy's day. Like <laughs> like at least it'd be, it'd be great if like Andy's like, "Oh, Opie, this is some great ice cream." And then a hawk just swoops down and knocks the ice cream off his cone. Ha-ha! You you know you can tell that me and Marty are trained in improv because we know how to say actually never mind. <laughs> Just there's, there's yes and, and then there's also, fuck all that, that you just said. <laughs> Your part was dumb. That's my favorite part of watching Whose Line Is It Anyway. <laughs> Alright, so... <laughs> then... <laughs> Oh, we're back. (laughs) I'm good. good. (laughs) Oh. Oh. All right. So the next shot is also the nurse's house the next day. Uh, Andy is like walking up to it and he sees a new car and he's kind of like perturbed a little bit. He's like, huh, that's weird. New car. Um, And uh, he does like this weird surprise thing on the nurse on Peggy's porch where he's just like like gives her he like hides behind the door and then gives her her newspaper real it's dumb it's weird real teenage idea of a prank real thing i would do when trying to impress a girl in high school like yeah also didn't she just move there like how does he know that that's like just not her car yeah no yeah she's been here two weeks apparently and he's just like nice car well it's probably like he assumes that she can't have a nice car. She's a woman. Women don't have nice cars. That's a man thing. That's so true. he asks if she has company and he asks it like not super suspicious, but well suspicious. He's like, oh, it's yeah, de- it's definitely the you fucking someone kind of question. Like, yeah, but not like angry. Just be like, hey, you fucking someone yeah. like like not like like what you do of fucking yeah. someone, but just like. Hey, you should give me a heads up if you're fucking just, someone. I, listen, I gotta know. I gotta know about the fucking someone. Yeah. And, uh, no, no, it's, it's from her father. Her father gave her the nice car, uh, because her father has money. He owns all the grain elevators in Raleigh. Uh, which is actually pro- an extremely realistic way for a person to be super rich. Um, yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, he just like sent it over as a present, not like a birthday present or any particular present, just like, Budgie like a car. Um, so that's like fucking rich. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you can just throw cars around like they're like the gift cards. The, the next scene, they go back to the jail. Andy tells Barney about the nice car and Barney's like, yo, you can't date this woman. <laughs> uh, I mean, so I have like the lines that Barney says specifically. Um, yeah, you have them. Uh, she came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied, she studied sculpture at St. Martin's <laughs> College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. 
I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And then in 30 seconds time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people like you. What else could I do? I said, I'll see what I can do. That was pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, she basically just yells the plot of common people as spoken by William Shatner. No other versions of that song exist. They were all wiped off the face of the earth when William Shatner did it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's basically it. He just says, like, you can't, you can't date a rich girl. Because, uh, like, what they do is they go off to Greece or pr- fairs or whatever, and then they get bored, and they come and slum it with guys like you and me. Yeah, like, this is going to break your heart, Andy. So his, his, his thesis is... So they, they're born and they instantaneously have nannies that speak French to them and they get better care. And then they get the best bikes and the best toys. And because of that, they're only going to hang out with kids who also have the best toys. And then they go to the, they go partying around at the Harvards and the Yales with fellers called, and I'm quoting here, Freddie and Binky and Bobo. Uh, and then they get on a steamer and go to Europe. And by the time they're 20 or so, they've they've seen everything and done everything and they're bored. So they date ordinary guys just for kicks. Um, which, yeah? I mean... Yeah, me? no, I found myself really, uh, like, actually agreeing with this. I mean, um, yeah, true, 100%. There is, like, like, holy shit, Barney has class consciousness... What yeah, the Barney, fuck? Barney's aware of class consciousness. Uh, by the way, I really like how uh, he plays this out as, like, uh, the version Andy and the Chad Freddy. <laughs> Chad like, Bobo. Chad Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he is, he is basically, like, saying, like, yeah, they are on, like, a fundamental existential level different creatures than us uh, due to how much they have and what their experiences are. Uh, but... I so is Barney anti the superior rich people? Is he like and they're bad, or is he just like they're inherent? They're gods compared to us. You can't deal I, with God. I think I think a lot of it, Barney's whole thing comes from jealousy. Mm. You know, I think I think a lot of his thing is that he has been envious for far too long. So yeah, I think I think part of it is what you said. He's just like looks up to them as gods. But I think now that we're getting into season three and his role is kind of being settled, uh, I'd like to think that maybe Barney's getting to a little bit where he's like, fuck these people. Yeah, a little. These I people mean, that, that I've wanted to be for so long. Because there are multiple episodes of Barney trying to, like, fit in with high society. Yes. It, in fact, I'm going to bring that up again when we get to the restaurant. Remind me. Yeah. Um. So, like, fucking, yeah, no, class consciousness from Barney, no real definitive direction with it which um barney fife joined dsa um so he basically says like so you'll stop dating her and Andy just goes no and walks away and uh barney says oh he don't know it but he's on his way to heartbreak alley which not a phrase or a thing really anything not not a real thing nothing oh Uh, um i should mention that this does kick off with you know everyone's favorite catchphrase 
nip it in nip the nip it in the butt. <laughs> Just like can we get like a like an audience to it like nip it in the butt. Like it's family fucking feud. We really should figure out. We should put a nip it in the butt on our soundboard. <laughs> just, uh, just so we always have it. Let's just do like like oh guys, it's Bud Watch. Woo! Like and then hit like a siren. Everybody's favorite catchphrase that totally makes like just real quick digression. How the fuck are they going to make that a catchphrase? How are they going to work that into more than four episodes? It's not a very flexible thing to say. Like, did I do that just requires Urkel to fuck something up. It's been three seasons. It's been three seasons, and he said it twice. That does not a catchphrase make. No, and it requires him to be specifically saying, you need to end a bad thing early. Like, it's... Yeah, that doesn't come up as often as you would think it does. Like, it's like if Urkel's catchphrase was, I cheated on my taxes. Like, it's so specific and difficult to prompt. You know what I wonder? (laughs) I wonder if it's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And we've been, like, bamboozled into thinking this is a real catchphrase because of, like, ads and memes, essentially. Mm. But, like, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha only ever got said by Jan once. Really? One time. Yeah. Fuck. In the entire- yeah. So I wonder if it's, like, one of those. Uh, Weird. Okay, yeah. So maybe. I- all I know is uh, all conservative comedians fucking love that They line. love that bit. They- all conservative comedians, if they run out of stuff to do... They're just like, time to do a Don Knotts impression. <laughs> They're conservative comedians fucking hate buds and want them all nipped. They hate those buds and they want them gone. So, so let's move on to the the next scene is more of the same. Andy's getting ready for the jet for the date. Uh Barty's like, Don't you're gonna get hurt, whatever. We cut to the restaurant. And Dan, do you know what the first fucking thing we see when we cut to the restaurant is the very nice fancy restaurant? No, I can't remember, Marty. What is the first thing we see when we cut to the restaurant? We see baked Alaska. We see a waiter lighting some baked Alaska on fire, uh, which, by the way, is a thing that you're supposed to do at the table. But he, like, he lights the baked Alaska and he walks away with it uh, and stands there for a second, basically burning the shit out of that thing. That's going to be burnt to a crisp by the time it gets to the table. How do you guys recognize baked alaska so quickly like i'm looking it up now and it just looks like a cake it just looks like a creamy cake i don't the understand thing is, the thing is i think it's the like flambe it's the fact that he lights it on fire that's so obvious oh um, okay yeah uh so that's it uh and the reason why baked alaska is so uh, i made such a big point of this is because the joke of baked alaska comes up in an episode uh our episode is uh, go speed Fraser, go speed Fraser, go. But it's a previous episode where Barney made a big deal out of knowing what baked Alaska was because he was trying to impress the high society because he was trying to get into a club. I thought that was an interesting choice, an interesting callback. And they follow that baked Alaska like it's the club scene in Goodfellas, essentially. And they make a big deal about focusing on it. And does it go to Andy and Peggy's table? No. <laughs> they no. just show it, and then this guy lights something on fire, he walks away. Move on! So they're at a fancy French restaurant. Peggy orders a Sazerac from the, like, kind of snooty French waiter. And he says, uh, y'all got draft beer? And you said that the waiter is rude. I don't think the waiter's that rude. He's just like, yes, we have draft beer. Okay. No, he, he gives a thorough eye roll. Like, he's yeah. like, he does, he does a harumph. He's like, yes, we have 
draft beer. Like, All right, so, so he, this he put scene, some stank on it. So this scene makes me maybe a little angry, but let's, let's get into this. Peggy orders them some appetizers, and uh, the waiter says that the, the maitre d' says that the house special is escargot. So they order it, and Peggy's like, you know, escargot, they're, they're snails. And Andy's like, oh, I'm not going to eat snails. This makes me angry, because fuck you, Andy. <laughs> fuck you. You eat so much weird shit. Listen, this wouldn't make me nearly as angry if not for the fact that I own the Mayberry cookbook. Mm-hmm. And there are recipes in here for pokeweed stew and fried raccoon. You eat weird shit, Andy. Eat the fucking snails, Andrew. This isn't that weird. A snail is not really that different from a fucking crawdad, and you fry those up all the time. Yeah, but I, Andy's. I mean, Andy's I have, like ew, snails, gross. I have trouble imagining snails being delicious, but also like I eat oysters all the time, and those on paper should be the most disgusting fucking things you can eat. They they taste a little bit like like oysters. They kind of taste like oysters with a little bit more mushroom like earthy flavor to it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like sounds nice. Yeah, that's that's it. Andy talks shit on the escargot. He refuses to eat the snails like a like, fucking eight year old. Like yeah. he he's like he he scowls at them and then he's like, I think I'll pass on the snails. And yeah. Peggy takes it pretty well. She just kind of like smiles and she's like, All right. Um, and dur- during the conversation, like, she talks about places that she's been, like, she says she loves New Orleans, and uh, there's this really weird bit where she says she's like, loves New Orleans, asks Andy if uh, he'd ever been down there, he tells some story about why he couldn't go the one time he and Barney tried to get there, whatever. His car uh, exploded and he sold it for $12. Yeah, their, like, car broke down and he couldn't get to it. And she goes, oh, you'd like New Orleans. Yeah, it's a lot like Paris. Come on, Peggy. You know he hasn't been to fucking Paris. Yeah, Although that's maybe just he pretty... has. He was in the war. He did oh, go overseas yeah. during the war. He's probably been to Paris. What the fuck? He fought in France. He's talked about fighting in France. It would be weird if he hadn't. Why? He's probably, like, in, realistically, he should have eaten snails. He should have eaten snails. And he's been to Paris. He's yeah. been to France during the war. He's mentioned this. Whatever. God. It's really annoying. But she takes it well, uh, and then they see... Basically, what ha- this is a bad date. They don't have anything really in common. Uh, Andy watches some, some people dance, like ballroom dance, uh, and... Do you dance much, Sheriff Taylor? And he's like, I two-step, but I usually, you know, step away from the floor when this stuff happens. Like, she's very clearly like, I would like to dance, but he doesn't even give it a shot. He yeah. doesn't even give it a shot, and that's... They are deeply incompatible people. It's, yeah, it's not a good date. They're not having a good time. Both of them are miserable. It should end here. I found this very, very frustrating, this scene. And I'll tell you why. Okay, go for it's it. Be- it's because I could almost relate. I almost understood. My girlfriend, not not rich by any means, but makes more money than I do and always has for our entire relationship. And when we first started dating, she's more well-traveled than I am. She's been to more places. Uh, and I understand kind of that, like, sense of, like, bit of inadequacy that you feel at the beginning of a relationship like that. Like, I understand the feeling of being with somebody and thinking in the back of your head that they're just kind of slumming it with you. I felt that way. 
But the way you counteract that is you try shit. You you yeah. you become a more interesting person as a result instead of just like simpering to yourself. And this this bit represents so much of the dynamics that that Andy represent the Andy Griffith show represents, where it's just like those big city folk are so fancy. We can't be like them, but we don't want to be like them. But also, our stuff is better. It's so annoying because I mean, she's proven she she will eat a crawdad. She'll eat a crawdad. She'll eat a fucking raccoon if you put it in front of her. She's proven herself like willing to try all of Andy's weird backwards shit. He can eat some fucking snails, Andrew. That's kind of okay. So it oh, I've I've missed this of yelling whose side am I supposed to be on? Because generally, like. Am I supposed to be like, ew, snails? Or am I supposed to be like, ha ha, this backwoods idiot won't eat snails? I feel like I'm supposed to be in the former, right? Yeah, like, I don't know. Are, no, you know what? I will say this. This this episode makes it clear we're not supposed to be on Andy's side. Because it ends with them saying that Andy's being a dick. Yeah. But, like, um. So, like, I guess we are supposed to be like, hey, Andy, eat some fucking snails. Because genuinely, like... You're a fucking adult. Eat you like do you think snails are gross? Eat the fucking snails. Like you eat one snail, you adult human man. But uh, but when they but when they call him out on it, they don't call him out on like not trying shit. They call him out on something related but slightly different. And well, so that's they yeah, they they handle this whole dynamic in probably the most unproductive way possible. Here's the other thing, is that, like, this should be the end of it. Like, yeah. this this show doesn't seem to understand that, like, a relationship can end. You went on a bad date. Neither of you were happy. You're done. That should yeah. be, you're, you're, this should be over. Barney is fucking right. They are from different worlds, but not in, like, a fun romantic way. They don't no. have anything in common. Although, I kind of want to say, Andy doesn't have a lot going on. He mostly fishes. So, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, this should honestly be a wake-up call for Andy, like, oh, I'm not really that interesting of a person. Yeah. This should be a time for Andy to go and get some new hobbies, or just go... ah, It's it's really annoying. I mean, normally when someone is like, hey, I've been to New Orleans, have you been to New Orleans? The answer isn't like, no. The answer is like, no, but I want to go. Tell me about it. Yes, yes. and, And then that's like a solid, like... 12 minutes of conversation that you don't have to talk you can just nod it's the best part of the date yeah no let, let someone else tell you about new orleans because people want to talk about that shit yeah and then you and then you can say oh i caught a catfish this big or whatever and she can pretend to be interested in that that's how dating works <laughs> yeah no <laughs> like the, the first four dates are just like pretending to be interested in each other so that you can maybe get to third base like, yeah no, it's it's just taking turns talking about yourself and then occasionally being quizzed on how much you listened. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you're saying words. When is it my turn? It's my turn to say the words pretty soon. Oh, I get to say words? Well, this is why how this is about me. <laughs> yeah, that thing you said 12 minutes ago reminds me of a thing I want to say. <laughs> and have been thinking about the entire time. <laughs> You said that thing, it reminded me of this thing, and then I was just on that track the entire... Whatever you said between then and now, gone. You said said the word apples and then told a very important story about your family, but I have a grand tapestry of a story about apples that I've been weaving in my head the entire time. 
Uh, hey, you ever seen that movie Goodwill Hunting? How do you like them apples? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we go back to the jail. Uh, Barney makes the same point. Like, yeah, I know why you guys are miserable. You had a bad date because you got nothing in common. She's you're from different worlds, and uh, that's it. Like you're done. Again, Barney, a hundred percent right. Well, okay, um, so he's not. So he's he's right, but not because he's like, like, hey. Uh, you don't have anything in common because you're different people. He's like, like, hey man, it's totally fine that you're miserable because she's better than you, and right. she's she's you're a piece of shit compared to her because she's a living god and you're just some trash monster, uh, from the pores. Uh, so don't worry about it, man. Just break up with her. It's totally cool. And then the next four scenes are all just. Andy ghosting this woman, and this woman not getting the hint. Like, yeah. This woman does not understand boundaries, which is a deal. Like, she's calling she, Aunt B at the house. He's hiding. He's very clearly avoiding her. Peg shows up at the jail. Basically, like, as Andy is about to leave, she's standing in the open door, and he she just basically yells at him for ghosting her, where she's yeah. just like, hey, you're ducking me. Are you? Are we breaking up? And he's like, what? No, baby, what? No! We're totally dating still. I haven't been dodging you. I've just been very busy with work. And uh, then she's like, okay, do you want, like, we have a date tonight, right? Which I don't know when they ever talked about that, but sure. And he's like, yeah, can we reschedule no, that? No, she's, it's not like that. She's, uh, it's like, he's like, no, we're totally till dating. And so she's like, so in that case, you want to go on a date with me tonight, don't you? Uh, and Andy's like, well, I kind of got stuff tonight. And then she's like, all right, well, fuck off. Yeah, she tells him to fuck off. Uh, and then uh, Barney comes in and he's like, there you go. You really put her in her place. You really said. And this is like Andy gets real cross with him. This yeah. He says, shut up. Shut up. He like that's the angriest he's ever just, been. Just ever. one like very quick bark of a shut up. Yeah. You know, and it's you really know what I've realized uh, Barney's position is? Hmm. Barney is not. Like, pro-poor people, anti-poor people, pro-Peggy, anti-Peggy. Um, he is pro-Andy being single so that he doesn't get torched on, uh, uh, on dates anymore. Like, he yeah. is, he is pro-single Andy so that he doesn't get lit up. Andy goes out to the lake to go, like, feel sorry for, man, this is the exact same resolution as the last episode. Uh, Andy goes off to the, to the wilderness to be pensive, and then he runs into the exact person that he needs to run into out there in the wilderness. He runs into Peg. Peg puts him in his place and says that Andy's a snob. Yeah. Uh, but she says, Andy, you're a snob. And what you should say is, you're a snob because you won't try things because you think that they are, are like upper class or whatever. You won't try anything. No. What she actually says is, you're a snob. Just because my parents have money, you think that I won't enjoy things. You think that because I've been to Paris, I won't enjoy this lake. Well, I like this lake. And I'm like, you are, you're like getting a piece of it, but you're not getting the whole pie here, pal. And that's it. And he's like, I guess I am a bit of a snob. Will you forgive me? And then they start throwing rocks off screen. You say skipping stones. No, they're throwing rocks off screen <laughs> and pretending like they're skipping. So it's really. End of episode. So the moral of the fucking story isn't like. I don't know any substantial commentary on class. 
It's that she basically says, like, hey, you're racist against rich people. Yes! Yeah! Yes! That's the moral of the story. So, like, it's really a, like, rich people are people too moral, which is the worst possible conclusion that you could draw from this. You know what I wish the moral would have been? It's okay to not date someone if you don't want to date them. That's what the immoral should be. You can just not date someone. Yeah. it's It should really be like, hey, sometimes people are really different and that's fine. But you could also do a thing of like, oh, man, the wealth inequality really creates two differently and completely different types of people. And it sucks. And Listen, the- I'm, I'm not I'm not going to like go crazy with this. I'm not going to wish for like total and complete class consciousness from I know. fucking Griffith show. But I would love it if they were just like, it's okay to not date someone you don't have anything in common with. Yeah, that's more realistic. But like, like, that, That's a realistic goal. I mean, is even if they were just like, I don't know, just like, even th- they could just do like some standard, like Disney shit of like, well, you're rich and I'm poor. We're from two different worlds, but you know what? Love transcends any barrier. But instead, they went with, hey, you're racist against rich people. They're like, like, rich people are a, a, a class. They are, no, rich people are a demographic. And by not wanting to eat snails, you are racist against me. You uh, know what would have been a really funny stinger for this? Or would have been, like, at least a, a decent stinger? Is if, like, it the last scene is, like, they're at Peggy's house or whatever. And, uh... Bar- Andy's having a meal, and he's like, "Oh boy, I sure did like those uh, those appetizers, them oysters you put out." And she's like, "Oh, those weren't oysters; they were escargot." And then, like, Andy ate the escargot, and ha ha ha! There's a laugh. That's a good stinger. Instead, what stinger do we get, Daniel? Um, oh Christ! So we got—I mean, you fucking—it's Barney tries to cheat on his fucking girlfriend again. Well, he unsuccessfully for no reason he's just like hey you know what's cool infidelity you know what i'm about to do cheat on my girlfriend oh hey juanita beasley the woman i try to cheat on my girlfriend with do you want to fuck me in a car no Uh uh-oh i'm sad um end of roll on snare end of episode we're back baby so dan i don't know if you let your netflix just move on to the next episode like i did but this is a very weird thing. Uh, season 3, episode 2, ends on a Barney calling Juanita Beasley joke. Season 3, episode 3, opens <laughs> on a Barney calling Juanita Beasley joke. Almost entirely, almost entirely the same joke. I just sat there for a long time going, I, did I... Is this the same episode? <laughs> this episode is... Like, like it, was, it was like the first two rounds of What's New Pussycat... Uh, in that John Mulaney bit. Yeah. I was just like, is this still going? This episode's way longer. It wasn't until I saw or heard the whistling that I was like, oh, this is a new episode. Yeah, no, it's so weird. Like, oh, continuity. Or it's just that they do the same joke so often that they blend together if they're in the perfect order. I'm just going to assume that, like, it was like a... One like, consistent like, timeline. Episode two ends and then episode three begins at the exact same moment. You know what's actually really cool is uh, Bob Odenkirk was watching these two episodes when he came up with the structure for Mr. Shell. Deep cut, but I liked it. 
Yeah, so it's we're we're back. Uh, do you think there's ever going to be an episode where Thelma Lou finds out about Juanita Beasley? Uh, no, because that would involve conflict. That would involve consequences. That would mean that Barney would have consequences for his actions, and no. Yeah, he couldn't continue doing a bad thing. No, no. That which is insane, which is fucking insane, that you have a prominent plotline of a character trying to cheat on his girlfriend, or successfully trying cheating on his girlfriend. I can't really tell anymore. And it's just like, never gonna come up in a serious plot manner. <sighs> we're back. We're, we're, we're back. back. Ba- we're back, baby. It's season three, Andy Griffith show. hey Let's do this uh, thing. Rating, ratings for this episode? Um, this episode isn't very good, especially not coming off of the high of Mr. McBeebe. No, so. it's uh, four. I don't, yeah, I, I've yeah. lost all frame of reference. I was going to say six, but that seems too high. So I'll, I'll agree with you on the four. There's nothing really like special or interesting about this. Uh, and Barney Meter, I'm going to put at about a six for me. Because, like you pointed out, it takes the worst possible fucking idea from this. Bad, bad episode. Not that bad. We are back. Dan, Dan, Dan have you watched ahead? I've, I'm partway through the next episode with the introduction of the, the mayor. mayor. The, the, the new mayor. The new mayor. The, the, the mayor. Yeah. The mayor. Yeah, we, we, we get a new mayor. He's a fucking dick, uh, which means we introduce a new antagonist for Andy, which is nice. Um, and, and like, that episode's decent that's coming up in the next episode. Uh, there some are some pretty impressive gun control shit so far. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into the bit about Andy not carrying a gun. That's gonna happen, uh, and then after that we get Andy and Opie bachelors. Which hey, do you remember the last time Andy and Opie were left alone and had to hang out, Dan? Do you remember I think that I one? Cried. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we get that. We get that again. Uh, and so that's what y'all got to look forward to. So that's it for this episode of Breaking Mayberry. We are in fact back. Um, you gotta say baby like, at the end of it. We keep saying that like we're John Wick. Yeah, <laughs> because we are, we're the John Wick of talking shit on black and white TV. I mean, show me anyone in the game who's doing this better. No one else is doing this better than we are, baby. Yeah, no, we're the top uh, of the fucking food chain. We're like John Wick, double tapping old TV shows in the head while doing Krav Maga. Remind me of that next time. That's going to be my opener for the next episode. Okay, as always, if you want to get in touch with us on the internet, you can email us, breakingmayberry at gmail.com. You can support us with your dollars, patreon.com slash breakingmayberry. You can tweet at us, twitter.com slash breakmayberry. We're also facebook.com slash breakingmayberry, and we are breakingmayberry on Instagram. On Twitter, I am at schneidremarks. That is S-C-H-N-E-I-D, remarks. I'm at the Luds. It has two D's in it. So that you can find it on Twitter. And that is it. Breaking Mayberry is back. Thanks for hanging out with us. And as always, we will see you down at the fishing hole. Play us off with Chicago Bulls entrance music.